Okay, so we're back again ahead of the semi-finals and um, little, little did we know we'd still be talking about England at this stage. So the last eight have become the last four in uh, an eventful round of uh, quarter-final games with mistakes, great goals, great moves, great atmospheres, the lot. And um, I'm going to get through this one once again with my old man. Hello, Dad. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Hello, uh, good morning from here. Um, yeah, doing good. And um, like you said, um, it's been more of a pleasure to, uh, to have this chat with England, still in the tournament. It's good to see as well. You know the comedian Rob Beckett, don't you? Big Arsenal fan. Very very much so. Um, yeah, Arsenal manager, yeah. Yeah, he, um, he managed to get a ticket, I think, to the semi-final. He turned up with some re very retro England shell suit, bucket at the lot so I think you've got your England shirt on there I'm not 100% but um, yep you have indeed um, good to see that you've not gone full bucket out he said I'll have a bucket out my head up my arse everything so obviously he was a little bit excited that he got a ticket a couple of lads at football their dads are uh, from, from down south um, most of them who live in or around London they've got tickets for the game as well and they tell me because it's been a little bit up and down with this Delta variant they've been very careful about going out because they don't want to get pinged, as you, I guess as you call it, when um, you end up going to a COVID hotspot. Um, word on the street was, I think even your ticket gets cancelled, because obviously it's in your name due to a big application process, you know, through UEFA and, and, uh, and what have you. Probably making it very hard for the England fans to travel to Italy, I imagine. I think the, the process was, if you did have a ticket for that game, you had a couple of days to transfer it to, you know, your friends that lived in Italy or whatever it might be, otherwise it'd be voided and you'd get a refund. Was that Was that the gist of it? Yeah, I mean, I didn't really sort of, um, you know, wasn't really right across all that with the situation. I did see, you did, you actually said the semi-final when you mentioned Rob Beckett, you, you meant the... Uh, Quarter-final, yes. The quarter-final, you know, I, I, I certainly, I didn't actually see him on Saturday, but um, I did see him at the Wembley game, the, the last 16 game. Yeah. He was he was there, along with, there seems to be more dignitaries, more famous people than... Uh, and plebs, as I like to call them, uh, at that match. Certainly, anybody from Ed Sheeran to James Corden to uh, the list goes on. Um, but so be it. Sporting England. Um, just, oh, did you say? Did you say James Corden then? James Corden is apparently big mates with with um, with Rice now, Declan Rice. Well, I guess there's a West Ham connection there, and he's he's obviously David Beckham's mm. mate as well. But yeah, he was sat. Next, he might have been sat next to Beckham at that match. Beckham was sat. Beckham was Beckham sat next to Sheeran. Sheeran. Um, I lose track. There was that many of them, but Bob and of course Bedil and Skinner were there. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure exactly what happens and whether they're all that brutal about not letting people in. Um, it also begs the question: um, why, when England played Scotland and there was only supposed to be a certain amount of people, that there were not only twice that amount of people in, but three times three times as many Scots were there as should have been there. Mm. So um, that's another issue altogether, but that's the resourcefulness of the Scottish football supporter, obviously. Extremely resourceful, as we know from um, from the Rangers fans' uh, trip to Manchester when they, uh, they played Zenit St. Petersburg in the Europa League final. I was at work that day and very resourceful they were about where they got their alcohol and where after they processed the alcohol f through their body, they disposed of that liquid alcohol. Um, all around the streets, nooks and crannies of Manchester. And if rumours were to be believed, or stories on social media, I believe they fashioned BHS changing rooms into uh, toilet cubicles as well. Lovely. 
Yeah, I'm not sure Manchester's quite been the same since uh, May 2008, that notorious night. So uh, we got sent on We got the the non-football fans managers in the office. I think were that concerned about rowdy crowd taking over. Uh, we got sent on from work for safety reasons. Yeah. Now, for me, I wasn't. I wasn't bothered. I was. It's just a big football crowd. I was similar to you. I was. Uh, I was even close to the ground than you because my office of was actually on on route to the ground and um, probably a, a good mile from the ground. And uh, whereas you might have been, should we say, two miles from the ground or more. And um, so our equivalent was that. And I was working late. You know, during the match, if you like. And um, our equivalent was that we were told that if you got a car on the street, um, get the, the, company, the company that we we shared the building we shared the building with another company. They had their own dedicated car park. So, so somebody, so the two companies got together, and we were allowed to use their car park. Basically, we said, "Get out now as soon as you can and move your car and put it into this underground car park, or because <laughs> it might not be there when you get back if you leave it there till past ten tonight." Wow. Well, um, uh, suffice to say, um, the, the the usual the today's typical football crowd is um, uh, much more inclusive, um, much more about equal rights, much calmer, much more peaceful than it was um, those thirteen years ago. But anyway, we digress. I guess we sort of started with England a little bit. We'll let England sort of bookend the discussion, and we'll talk about that game towards the end. I guess we start with the quarterfinals on the on the other side of the draw. The two S's, um, Switzerland, who went to yet another penalty shootout, and uh, and Spain. Did you manage to watch that game? Uh, not in its entirety. Um, not in the 130-minute entirety. Um, but certainly saw all the goals and um, a good chunk of it. And, uh, yeah, credit to Switzerland. They, uh, you know, they've, apparently, they've, you know, they've been in or around the top 16 of the rankings for a long, long time. And I suppose they finally come to the point where they've uh, the world rankings finally come to the point where they've justified it and done something to justify it when it counted. Yeah, by all accounts, you know, look at player interviews, uh, comments from Lewis and Reekane press conferences. The team uh, pretty committed to really having a good go at Italy, and we'll talk about the Italy Belgium game in a moment and um, the one goal that uh, the Italians did concede in that one. But I mean, if there's anything that Spain can do, it's definitely attack. They had 28 chances in this game. And it seems to have been the story throughout the tournament that the hit and miss in terms of actually converting these chances. I know they've scored five twice, but I've mentioned that Sweden game a couple of times where I remember on Sunday afternoon, Grandad took me and RH to see uh, us play Tottenham, and I think we lost 1 0. Tottenham were playing in a purple, can it be Freddie Canute playing? And um, I'm pretty sure Tottenham had about 300 chances that day, and we should have lost about 14 0. Um, the result never necessarily tells the, the true story of the game, and I don't think it did here because Spain were once again held despite having. All the chances, and maybe that's just not the. It's really hard to 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 really weigh up Spain's chances of winning the whole thing because, on the one hand, they can obviously create a lot of opportunities, but they make silly mistakes. You look at the last game um, with the, the Simon error under his foot. I don't know about you. I was a little bit surprised to see him stay in the team after that. Um, they've got a couple of other good goalkeepers as well. Maybe not an on-form David de Gea, but a capable yeah. one. And then the goal that they conceded as well, the the um, I guess the collision between Laporte and and uh, Pau Torres again, um, the just uh, the the team I'd like to call the javelin, the dangerous at both ends, 
Um, but dangerously risky at the back, aren't they? Yeah, they're almost winging it a little bit. I'm not suggesting that they don't know what they're doing, but they're, they're sort of flying on the seat of the pants a little bit. Um, yeah, you could have. You wouldn't have been surprised to see uh, Simon step down. Um, but having said that, once he did get through, then the manager and one or two teammates. And the, and the man himself was sort of saying that he is a bit of a penalty expert as well. He's supposed to have a good record at the mm. And uh, having said that, you know, um, he could have come on for the penalties, couldn't he? Uh, because obviously that's been done before by yeah. uh, the Dutch. And um, so, yeah, they sort of got away with that as well, if you like. It's obviously always a bold move, isn't it, to change your goalkeeper? You know, it's almost a decent bound to be some destabilisation. Of course. And uh, he, uh, you know, he went with it. Um, so, yeah, they are unpredictable. Definitely. Um, and so Italy will probably be worried. And, I mean, on the other thing about Spain, they're well used to winning that tournament, so they won't be sort of phased by being in the semi-final either. No, not at all. And if you sort of talk about power rankings, you know, Italy have probably been in the, the top one, two or three you know, pretty much all throughout the tournament. Um, and they deserve to stay up there for obviously knocking out who we predicted would win it, Belgium. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think it's sort of nosebleed territory or panic stations for Spain, is it? They, they they should be able to keep the cool at this stage. Do you think they were a little bit fortunate or rather Switzerland unfortunate with um, Remy Frowler's red card? Game's gone, man. Game's gone. It's a good tackle, that. <laughs> yeah, um we're seeing quite a lot of the classic continental style refereeing, aren't we? Um, compared to Premier League style refereeing, including with VAR. But I think in general that has benefited the tournament. It's just every now and again um, there's been some howlers. And um, I just won't put that down as a howler, frowler howler. Mm. Um, it, you know, it's debatable, certainly. And um, yeah, who knows, with, with 11 men, could they have possibly did what Spain did in extra time turn the tables so yeah yeah I mean that, if you if we do agree it was harsh then yeah terminally harsh possibly penalties were pretty diabolical weren't they it's just either get it placed or get it whacked these short run ups yeah know. I mean I've obviously obviously given Simmons some praise there and other keepers do have to sort of make the block one was Blazed over the five, the final one, as it turned out to be, but the other two he he blocked, and yeah, that again bucking the trend a little bit. You almost come to expect this clinical exhibition of penalty taking. I mean, I've even come to the point now where I think that if England getting a penalty shootout, that it won't be for sort of lack of technique as such, or knowing what they want to do when they're taking a penalty, which has certainly been an issue with England of previous penalty shootouts. Mm. It, will, it will be down to, you know, just slight lack of execution or some good goalkeeping. But this, in this case, it was fairly shambolic penalty taking. Yeah, and considering um, the composure and confidence that they demonstrated in the shootout against uh, France just a few days before, really bizarre. I mean, it certainly didn't look like complacency, just... I think the, the the tale of that this fable is just don't take short run ups, you know you, you telegraph it too too much and against a good keeper, um, he, he's he, he's going to save one of them and and obviously even if that happens early on this is when the nerves set in. Yeah, 
did did miss one in in the in an open play. Well, they'd miss one in, in ninety minutes as well, aren't they? In another game, Rodriguez had missed one. Yeah, crucially. Um, so perhaps it's just not their forte. Um, but again, Spain didn't look particularly comp- very competent with theirs. Although I did find it a little bit, I you know, puzzling. Um, there's been two sort of outstanding commentary, you know, um, cock-ups, if you like, that that stood out to me. One one a lot worse than the other, which I'll just briefly mention in a minute. But one, when, when Rodri came on with about five, ten minutes left, mm. commentator, that's because we know why he's done that with five minutes to go. And I thought, he's talking about penalties because he's, he's, he's good at penalties. Now, I'm not... Not um, excuse me, I'm going to sneeze. Bless you. <laughs> Sorry, first sneeze of the tournament. Um, I'm not, you know, over familiar with his career, but I do know when he took one for City in, 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 in the, when, during City's penalty crisis this season, it barely reached the the goal line and just about crossed the line. I wouldn't call him a penalty expert. You know, um, and, and, and just quickly to go on the second one, it was. Well, I might mention it when the match comes up, but you're aware of the, the commentary howler. It's gone a bit viral on the, with Kyle Walker and Jaden Sancho. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, this is Jermaine Genus and saying yeah, that uh, him and Sancho I'm played. I'm watching that thinking, does the commentator know something I don't? I mean, they can barely have shaped, you know, barely have had a five aside at Man City. But yeah, I, I'll, I'll, turn this, I'll, I'll pass the floor back to you. Yeah, I did hear that one as well. You know, going back to Rodri briefly. Um, they said similar on the commentary feed here um, when he came to take his penalty, uh, been brought on for it, and I thought I can barely remember taking many for City, and we did have that crisis. It does seem a little bit strange, but yeah, his, his, his penalty was yeah. Um, okay, well, moving on to the other quarterfinal on that side of the draw, Italy Belgium, and you know what? I um, it, while Italy went out with the back four, they obviously attacked a little bit more with Di Lorenzo, and we talked about the back threes, I guess, and at many times. They were a back three, much like um, much like Belgium uh, lined up as well. And I think how they managed that for me was the difference. Every time I saw Belgium break, as they did at pace, Italy sort of defended quite high to begin with. So they had enough time as they retreated, I guess, to contract and show Belgium wide. And it really sort of limited Belgium in the first half to... Um, I know they had the earlier chances, but perhaps in terms of you know the super clear cut ones, I know Donnarumma was forced into a really decent save. But Belgium, on the other hand, and we talked about the age of the defenders. I think they defended a little bit, uh, a little bit deep, and obviously it allowed Barella to sort of get into the box and and get a sniff. And um, but a, a good example of that for me is uh, the Insigne goal, which obviously great strike. But they just drop off and drop off and drop off. And I think it sort of proved that point that we made earlier in in earlier conversations just about Belgium are there to be got at. And you've got to give Italy credit for, despite having a fairly aged back th- uh, three themselves, doing that and having a pop at them. Good goal, but um, you'd, you'd be coaching defenders, or if it happened with England, to sort of get out and get at the player, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, Mancini's sort of, you know, you're never going to get an Italian team of won't know how to defend, but he's he's not only you know found players who are able to attack, but he's obviously encouraged them to with from a, from a solid base and and to be more daring maybe than you'd expect. Um, I, I, Belgium, I suppose, what Belgium possibly lack, um, because like you say, with the senior goal, 
highlighted it quite well. Was po- probably an, a Kante type player, isn't it? You know, the, 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 much as their midfield work hard and you know the, the, and try to make a, a back eight or a back nine um, when necessary. Kevin De Bruyne and Yuri Tielemans and you know and are not defenders and you're gonna that's gonna sort of expose you at some point when a team that you know it when a, when a team that can attack in numbers does so yeah so probably the makeup of their team that's the the one sort of player they've not really identified a world class player such as Kante have they I know yeah. they don't grow on trees don't grow on trees as such but. You know, there's a few Englands have got two, if you like, not in his league, but in England have got two. So, and, and and Henderson's also not a bad player. So, but Belgium don't, off the top of my head, Belgium don't seem to have that have that man. No, I mean they've showed they're very good at pressing teams. You know, around the final third in the opposition's defensive third or on the cusp of the middle third. Um, you know, the the Thorgan Hazard goal earlier on in the tournament. Um, I think it was in the Denmark game. You know, we talked about that one at the time, about how good of a team goal it was. Martinez, Roberto Martinez, is always going to have very good kind of pressing teams as a unit. But defensively, to really get somebody to go in and really put the heat on, you know, your deep-lying your deep lying midfielders. And Italy have got a couple of those, really. You know, they try to use Jorginho as that's the big ball out from the back to take the pressure off and to catch the teams off, off guard. Jorginho... Um, uh, Verratti as well um, but yeah I think you're right they don't have that real sort of ball winner in the midfield we know De Bruyne can work hard but it's probably not his speciality and you obviously want to sort of be saving him for getting him on the ball when you when you win it not doing the, the, the doggy work if you like so I think the better team won there I think we have found a, a frailty within Belgium's side a good team that can kind of keep the ball off them and move it quickly as Italy did obviously punished them and Italy yeah while they can be prone to that long ball sometimes, just dropping it in midfield and, and clipping it and having hard working forwards. Um, yeah, they um, they obviously did really, really well. It was kind of, in the end for me with Italy, it was a tale of the full-backs because on one side, Di Lorenzo, um, you know, knowing Mancini as we do, um, I wouldn't be surprised if he never kicked a ball again for Italy because that defending for the penalty... Um, that that nudge in Jeremy Doku's back was just total amateur hour. I could not see Mancini picking that player again unless his name was Mario Balotelli and he gave him about 17 chances. Um, and then obviously on the other side, Spinazzola, who's had a good tournament doing his ACL as well. That's a big loss for him, isn't it? Yeah, they seem to think a lot of him and he, he has uh, Sean. Yeah, that penalty, it was... It was... It, it was it was very very poor, good, nifty footwork by the the winger, and you know good play from a young lad to sort of have a go and do something. But it was just all day long shepherd it out for a corner, or you know it, there was so little space to work with that he, all he had to do was not make contact with the man, and he wasn't going to get a meaningful crossover. Um, so yeah, he's there, uh, Unai Simon, I suppose at the moment. Indeed, indeed. Well, let's move on to our side of the draw and. Is it time to get excited? Is it coming home? We asked this at the start of the, the little series we've been doing, but how, how do you feel now? Well, I'm an Englishman, aren't I? So anybody, if, a, if an Englishman with any... You've got your heart and you've got your head. And uh, the feeling inside the heart is obviously... There's a meaningful, meaningful, meaningful um, chance of winning this tournament. And then the, the head sort of starts to think of all the ways of blowing it. <laughs> Which, yeah, indeed. 
I mean, we, we should be favourites to get past Denmark and maybe we, we mix that game into the discussion here a little bit. You know, they'd look a little bit shaky at the back at times. I think there was that moment, Schmeichel's poor distribution um, and they almost conceded. I mean, he atoned, he made a good save in the end, but with a little bit of pressure, um, they, 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 the cracks obviously start to appear with Denmark. So we could only be our own worst enemy there or unless they're very organised, take us to penalties and history repeats itself. But yeah, it's good to see... Um, you know, Kane's come alive since that goal and I think you've got to eat your words a little bit around Raheem Sterling, haven't you? Because he's now not just getting in the right areas and us having a hat full of chances and, him, you know, maybe maybe just burying one of them. He, he's actually creating stuff now and I, I do wonder, I thought Jaden Sancho's, he, he shuffles the deck a little bit Southgate, but not too much. It's normally just one or two players. You know, mm. Sacco's had a go um, and it was obviously Sancho in the last game. He did very well and I felt that, you know, he's a player that's prepared to to dribble, to take players on. and it, I don't know whether it was coincidence, but I just found Sterling a little bit more purposeful going forward with the ball, a little bit more direct, wanting to get to the byline, wanting to drive forward. He did that for the first goal, um, and he did very well, obviously, for the second goal when he, um, when uh, when Shaw put a really nice cross in um, for, the, for the Kane header as well. Do you think it's coincidence, or do you think Sterling's just growing in confidence and maybe he deserved a bit of patience all along? Well, I think coincidence in what sense that that Sancho's introduction has sort of freed him up, if, sort of encouraged him to do the same. Maybe um, I mean we not, see we see not, we saw it in the past with City, didn't we? Well, you know, if you have David Silver in the team, yeah. it, it takes two yeah. defenders out and you've got a bit more space. Yeah. I, I wonder if Sancho, because he he did seem to be surrounded quite a lot, just gave Sterling yeah. a bit more freedom. Um, yeah, but I just think it, it, in each match, once he's once he's. Um, from the third match on, he's just seems to have sort of uh, found his stride and become the player he should be and can be, and decide you know decided to be to influence games and frighten people and do what he can. I'm not sure where it's come from. Um, he must have that extra confidence and that that Southgate's going to stand by him um, and various ingredients. A lot of it, most of it, down to himself. Look, obviously. Um, manager, the managers helps the team functioning well as helps, but he's he's got he got himself by the scruff of the neck, and and he just get he's just becoming more and more, you know, when he's picking the ball up on the edge of the, you know, just at the start of the last third, you're actually thinking he's not going to just sort of go down a blind alley or play a a five yard pass and nothing's going to happen. You're actually thinking he's going to take people on or play the right pass, get 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 a little one two going. He's still he's scoring, he's creating. Um, so, yeah, well well done to him. Um, you mentioned about Southgate's not changing much. He, he, he's not picked the same team for is it 35 games. Is that so? I believe so. so he, he's certainly got some really long record as far as that's concerned. Only didn't make many changes on Saturday, but it was just about a complete performance, wasn't it? So what does he do? Does he stick with that eleven? Um, or does he possibly, you know, let take Sancho out for for instance and put put another uh, player of his ilk in? Um, I don't think he'd be thinking of changing too much because if he gets open, he'll just carry on as though you know the final whistle never went, won't he? Yeah, I mean, obviously he, he said he just wants to prepare, you know, one game at a time and. It's all well and good saying that, but the opponent in the final is going to be tougher than 
both of the opponents in the in the two prior games. That's just the reality of it. And there are players that probably need a bit of a rest now, as you said when we spoke last, to pick the same team or almost the same team seven games in a row. And taking Shaw yeah. off, I think, was the right thing to do. He's really come into form and he's, he's, he's become an asset for us. Bringing Trippier on, I think, when you need to be a little bit more solid was the right thing to do. I'd probably say a player who might need a rest. I think if you're forward to score and you play him, um, but a player who might need a rest, you know, he's cramped up a couple of times. He's probably Declan Rice and Henderson sort of coming back to fitness has come at a really timely moment. Um, I loved his goal celebration, by the way. It, it looked like when FIFA, old versions of the FIFA game from like the early 2000s used to try and make celebrations. for. I thought, I'd never see a player celebrate like that. That kind of like, you know, low fist pump thing going on. Henderson, um, Henderson did it down to a T. Yeah, I think it was a fairly complete performance. There was only one phase of pay, play, really, one, one, one passage of the game where I felt like Ukraine were getting back into it and there's probably a 10, 15 minutes before um, the Maguire head of the second one. The most dangerous player was probably Zinchenko, if I'm being honest. You know, everything was kind of going through him as they were trying to move through, through the thirds. And when he was sort of occupying a space, you know, just sort of in the, the, the attacking midfield of the, the traditional 10 role, if you like, Sort of in that channel between Walker and um, and uh, and Stones, he wasn't really having much luck, and he drifted to the other side, and he started to create a couple of couple of chances. But I think the the Maguire goal killed it, didn't it? It was a great ball by Shaw, as it was for the second one as well. And I think one thing I noticed with the Denmark um, with the Denmark goals is they're another team who are pretty dangerous from wide as well. So it's going to be an interesting encounter in the semi. You know, can we um, be a bit more disciplined, maybe? You talked about Plan A and Plan B when we spoke last and maybe using Plan B a bit more in this game to have a go at Ukraine. And it's interesting with Denmark. I think if you are a bit more defensive and you force them inside, they don't really seem to have much there. It's down the wings where they're dangerous, um, as you saw with both the goals that, 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 that they scored in the game against the Czech Republic. But, yeah, you've got to be happy with 4-0, haven't you? Yeah, I think I think they are especially dangerous on their left as well. So, if the change, he probably is thinking Southgate... You know who can I put on the right there, um, other than Sancho, and possibly Saka might be the best option because he, you know, he's very up and down, and he'll get stuck in. He's played right back, um, so that might be what might happen. Um, yeah, you've got to be, and um, I suppose it was a little bit like in a in a, in a less, you know, a less uh, exciting way, a little bit like what England did to Holland in Euro '96, just. So every now and again, you just come up with a great performance, you know, and it's hard to sort of uh, better, and uh, that was one of them. Definitely, definitely. Did you catch much of the Czech Republic Denmark game? Shit was obviously in the in the mix again, but the Denmark goals were, were lovely, weren't they? Especially uh, the second one. Well, the first one was a fairly standard header, wasn't it? But um, from from a corner, they shouldn't have been given. Um, so that was that was their lucky break, and uh, but I mean, yeah, they, yeah, they do look like they're more than capable of scoring, and uh, yeah, good header from Thomas Delaney. I noticed he came off after about 80, 80 minutes because somebody because uh, he suddenly realised he was Irish and he shouldn't be on the pitch. <laughs> but uh, so that's it. And uh, if, if you're looking for any predictions, by the way, I've, I've got a non sort of footballing prediction. Um, I know in, in the last in the World Cup. Kieran Trippier's dad, he Chris, who's a builder, he had a big flag in his back garden with uh, St George's Cross and with the word Trippier written on it. Were you aware of that? I wasn't. It got some publicity at the time, 
Um, because some idiots who live near him in Berry contacted the local council and tried to cross him to take it down, believe it or not. Okay. I think he sort of bluffed it and carried on. Anyway, he's put it up again. And um, I noticed yesterday Trippy was talking about his dad getting overexcited. He was coming down to Wembley to watch the match. So he's got um, a massive flagpole in his garden with the word Trippier on somewhere in Bury. Um, I think the local burglars might be taking note of that. So my prediction is, don't be surprised if uh, the Trippier house gets turned over tonight. <laughs> we'll see. Not a nice prospect, but I'm just sort of saying it's, it's a stupid thing to say. I'm sure there'll be somebody in the house, but it, the man of the house is not going to be in. He's 200 miles away. Knock yourself out. By the way, here it is. <laughs> if you can't find it, there's a massive flagpole telling you where it is. <laughs> not, the, not the wisest move, really. <laughs> no, no, we'll see. So um, I think we are, without being complacent, somewhat confident and buoyant ahead of the ahead of the game uh, against against Denmark. And then, um, yeah, what's your prediction for the other side, Italy versus Spain? Because as we say, Spain is somewhat unpredictable, but Italy very much in the ascendancy. Started in the high gear and have stayed there. To be fair. Well, I won't be boring and say the obvious that Italy are going to win. So I'll uh, I'll just stick my neck out and go for a Spain win. You got to think there'll be a surprise somewhere, and you don't want it to happen to England. As such, you you kind of uh, rooting for Spain on the down low, and I would probably hope for Spain. Whilst they are dangerous and a bit unpredictable, um, I think they're manageable, and um, we probably should have enough momentum by that point. Should we surpass the Danes again? Don't want to jinx it. Well, we'll see what the the semis bring, I guess, and no doubt, I'm sure we'll reflect on them at or before the weekend, and hopefully before an England final on uh, Sunday there. Monday morning here, five o'clock. God, it's an early. You think about getting up at five o'clock and cracking a beer open because it's the Euros, and you go, nah. I went down my mates. We had a bacon butty. Ran out to the Seven Eleven and got a coffee, and and I was shattered after that. So I think I'll. Uh, well, sign of age. I think uh, Denmark. I'm, I'm, I'm obviously wish nothing. Christian Eriksen nothing but well, but I'm starting to get sick of the, of hearing them using him as their twelfth man. I think Gareth Southgate should use you and Europe. Your fellow expats as inspiration, the the effort you've been putting in to watch all these games so far. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> Thanks for that. All right, well, we'll speak again soon.